0: I walked down the hill about twelve o'clock, I sat right down on a great big rock, I looked down in the water and bless my soul, I seen a great big catfish jump in that hole. I'm a-going to fishing, cause everybody's fishing, and I'm a-going to fishing too. You bet your life that your loving wife might catch more fish than you. Any fish will bite if you got good bait. And here's a little something that I'd like to relate. When it's time to bite, Lord, the fish won't wait. I'm
1: a-going to fishing, cause everybody's fishing, and I'm a-going to fishing too.
0: With its thousands of lakes and streams, Wisconsin is a haven for anglers who enjoy the challenge of the catch and the serenity of nature. For fishing enthusiasts, spending time on the water leads to moments you'll never experience in the same way again, and some you'll never forget. Welcome to Route 51. I'm Shereen Seward Today, we explore the fishing experience from tips for beginners to advice for pros. And we want to hear your fishing stories, too, your secrets and your suggestions when you join us at 800-780-9742 or email your questions and your comments to us at ideas at WPR.org. Captain Barb Carey grew up in the UP where she found her passion for fishing. She loved it so much, she started a club, Wisconsin Women Fish. Barb also has a chapter, uh, charter captain's license and helps women learn not only to fish, but to drive boats in some of the largest bodies of waters around us. Captain Kerry, welcome to Route 51. Thank you so much. Also with us today is Teresa Stabo, who studied natural resources at the University of Wisconsin-Stevens Point. She has been with the Wisconsin Department of Resources since 1987. Teresa helped create the Angler Education Program, which helps people learn to fish and how to cook what they catch, too. Teresa, welcome. Welcome. Thank you. I'm so glad to have you both here. Barb, you started your group, Wisconsin Women Fish, after realizing you weren't seeing a whole lot of other women on the water. Has that changed over the years? Are you finding a lot more women are interested in this?
1: Oh, absolutely. There's been an explosion of female anglers, both on the ice and open water. The growth in women in the industry is amazing. I want to ask you
0: both. And, Teresa, I'll start with you. Do you remember the first fish you ever caught?
2: Yes, I do. I was about six years old, and I was sitting at Cushing Park with a cane pole in my hand, and I yanked in a bluegill. And it was just one of the most exciting days of my life.
0: Is the thrill the
2: same for you now? Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Uh, I, it, every time's like the first time. Whenever I get to a fish, I... I I I have to kind of restrain myself so that I don't disturb the peace because I I don't
0: disturb the (laughs) peace. Barb, what about you? What's the first fish you ever caught?
1: Well, the first one that I really remember is I was about eight years old and I was casting at some friend's house. My parents took me to visit some friends who lived on a lake and I caught a a bass on this little crankbait and I was just shocked and thrilled and ecstatic and went running up to the house to show my huge catch, which was probably a 10-inch bass. But it just created this, you know, your heart beats, beats faster and your blood is pumping through your veins and it just is so exciting. And its I think that is the piece that becomes an addiction to anglers. It's funny because when I hear
0: both of you talk about this, these are really vivid memories. I mean, things you are just never going to forget. Why do you think that, that, I mean, why do you think this is so ingrained in, in your mind and something that is so important to your your personal history? Barb, what do you say about that?
1: Well, you know, it, it, life is always so complicated, and for me, fishing is the only time that I'm just thinking about fishing. You know, I'm totally present in the moment. And, you know, I can't remember anything, including where I put my car keys. But, boy, I can remember what I caught that 30-inch walleye on six years ago. You know, so <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how fishing is wired in your brain, but if everything was wired the same way, I'd be a lot more intelligent. I know that. <laughs> well, we all be so much more organized, when we, Barb? <laughs> yes.
0: Well, Teresa, take me through the seasons for fishing in Wisconsin. I mean, there's a, there's a season for each kind of of fishing, um, and obviously, there's got to be you know different equipment you use. But do you fish for different species depending on the time of year?
2: Well, depending on the time of year, you no. Know, yes and no. I I really do like to fish for pan fan, excuse me, fish for panfish. You know, yellow perch. That's my favorite fish to. To eat um, but you can catch them pretty much year-round so in the winter you'll be digging a hole not digging you'll be drilling a hole to catch some panfish on the lakes or walleye you know there's walleye fishing you know the hard water fishing for walleye as well but then um, you know as the as the lakes open up then you know we you still you know again we'll be seeing crappies coming in um, and then you know the trout streams are will open up in the in may you know you mm-hmm. there is an early season catch and release trout season, mm-hmm. but you know that's really a different different kind of water, and you know the the trout streams you know typically are often open you cannot you know for from a standpoint of being able to enter them.
0: What about the what about the regulated seasons? Like, does fishing season always open the same weekend every year? Spring and I mean, does that or does that change?
2: The general opener is always the first Saturday of May. Okay, but then there are some nuances to that. There are different seasons, like for sturgeon, that has a very, very short and discreet season. That's a September. Um a September time, September season. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then the Great Lakes they have a different slightly different seasons mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know bass. There, those seasons are a bit different too. Particularly um, on the boundary waters you know, with Michigan and Wisconsin, those seasons will be different. They won't. They won't open right away. Okay. The first weekend in May, like everything else, that might be mid June before before you can go after largemouth or smallmouth bass. And some of our. So where do you go waters.
0: to find out the the current regulations? Is is it always on the W uh, on the DNR website?
2: Yes, you okay. can you can look on our website and if you go buy your your fishing license at your local bait shop, they should have a stack of the old hard copies which some of us have a preference for. Some of us prefer to scroll on a screen and others prefer to flip pages. Sure. I myself I'm a page flipper, but I can <laughs> <Yes>. do both. <laughs> All right. Barb, I um, want I want to ask you
0: to take me through the whole experience before you even set foot near the water. What kind of equipment do you need to start? What do you absolutely have to have before you head out?
1: Well, you know, one th- the good thing about fishing equipment is it's really improved over the past, you know, even 10 years. So um, there's a lot more science put into it. Obviously, if you're going to go fishing, you need a good rod and reel combo. And I think that... Um, pairing your choice with the species that you're going to fish for is really important. Um, oftentimes, I describe fishing rods as, you know, they go from something as sensitive as a willow branch to something as stiff and hard as a 2x4. So you don't want to have a 2x4 you know, if you're fishing for really light-biting fish. So you want to be able to pair that with the most likely species that you're going to be fishing for. So um, oftentimes I see mistakes people make is they buy something medium or medium-heavy, and they're fishing for panfish, but they can't feel the bite Ah. because the rod is kind of stiffer. So, you know, if you're only going to get one rod, you know, I would get a light rod. So the way they rate them is like ultralight, light light. Medium, medium medium-heavy, and heavy, and that nature. That's kind of the basic way. And all the information of what the rod is is written on the side of it. A lot of people tend to pick rods by the color or how they look or if they're attractive, and you should totally disregard that, you know, and look at the side of the rod and see exactly what it is.
0: What about the length? I mean, you know, how do you choose the right length rod for you?
1: Well, you know, there's um, one example is if you have a longer rod, you can get by with a lighter rod because the rod itself will take up some of the um, fight of the fish. So I always recommend longer rods if people are shore fishing. A longer two piece rod, you know, if you happen to catch a really big fish, you still have a lot of rod to absorb a lot of the shock of that bite. Um, The line you can cast farther with a longer rod. And um, my preference for a a shore fishing rod is one that's even up to eight feet long. So um, we have, we fish for, you know, crappies, perch, and walleye, all catch them all with the same rod. So
0: it sounds like communicating with who you're buying it from is, is important. I mean, not just going in and if you're a newbie and just picking it out.
1: Absolutely. And there, there's so much um, information these days online. I mean, you can watch a YouTube video on everything, like how to pick the the best fishing rod for a new person. And oftentimes if you buy a fishing rod in real combination together, there's already line on it, but oftentimes that line is heavier than you probably will want. Line is something that um, people often, you know, don't realize the importance of. You know, you wanna get by with the lightest line you can because it's gonna help you cast farther, the fish aren't gonna see it, and you just tend to catch more fish. Okay. Let's talk
0: about bait. Teresa, how do you go about choosing what kind of bait to use? Does it depend on what you're fishing for? And I'm curious about live bait versus you know, the the kind you buy in the store.
2: Well, right. Similar to how Barb described gear, you're going to want to have those same kind of considerations with your bait selections. For, you know, For panfish, a bobber and a worm, that's, that's a pretty safe bet. Or minnows. But if you're going out after something you know, a little bit bigger, you know, some of the larger game fish, like smallmouth bass, largemouth bass, then you can get into some larger lures, you know, spinners and poppers and things like that. So for, well, for a a northern pike, maybe some wobbling spoons, something that is going to show some action. You know, the northerns, they're, they're pretty aggressive fish. They'll if they see something wobbling by they're going to want to go investigate see what that is see if it's something they want to eat or just just mm-hmm. find out more about it um i i've had this experience of pulling in a bass that i was about to let go let off let off the hook and this northern came just roaring out of the water and about to chop this bass that was on the end of my <laughs> hook it really gave me a start but, so i um i thought wow i can catch two Fish with oh, one cast. There
0: you go.
2: Illegal. So, uh, but anyways, that that northern went away. But so they, you know, the point is, is that they they like action. They like to see what's going on. Does the or color? Lucky. Does the
0: color of the lure matter? I I read oh. I read that it does, but it seems like I, I guess I don't know why that would be. <laughs>
2: so. Well, you know, chartreuse is a favorite color for for certain fish in certain times. Um, purple. Um, sometimes, you know, we have to really step back and say, all right, are these lures painted to attract me or to attract the fish? <laughs> exactly. They are very uh, attractive. But, um so for example, if you're going after a smallmouth bass, um, I, I just heard this the other day from a colleague that he was having good luck with um, chatterbaits, you know, in purple or chartreuse, and they just have some sort of a trailer to match when you're pulling them in. They're going to they're going to provide some action. Mm-hmm.
0: Barb, so, I, mean- I I want to ask you about this. I have a friend who uses corn kernels and hot dog slices as, as bait. <laughs> have you ever seen anybody use those kinds of weird, unusual types of bait?
1: Oh, absolutely. I know even ice fishing, a lot of times people swear by using hot dogs for big pike. Um, so my, it's uh, old folklore, and it, I think it still works. I've seen it done. I particularly don't use it, but, uh, you know, when desperate times come from desperate measures, I guess, <laughs> also, you know, there's also so many plastic baits. A lot of sure. people don't really like touching worms and minnows or anything like that, but um, there are so many new scented plastics that you can use now, even for a little panfish or bigger fish or whatever, but... They're scented, they're a variety of colors, they're a variety of shapes. You know, generally the key to fishing, the number one rule of fishing, is to know where your bait is in the water column. You know, Mm -hmm. the fish are either on the surface, in the middle, or towards the bottom. And you want to choose your bait to match where the fish are in the water column.
0: Okay. Teresa Stabo and Captain Barb Carey are our guests today on Route 51 as we continue our discussion on fishing. Had advice on finding the perfect fishing hole and we'll answer your questions too when you call us at 800-780-9742. You can also send an email to ideas at wpr.org. I'm Shereen Seaworth. This is Route 51 on Wisconsin Public Radio. Everything but sitting still Talking about her ballet shoes And training wheels
1: And her kittens And she thinks we're just fishing
0: Listener support is the largest source of funding for WPR programs. That's important, especially right now during our spring member drive. Make your impact on WPR programs with your gift at WPR.org or 888-202-2552. Thank you. You're listening to Route 51 on Wisconsin Public Radio. I'm Shereen Seward. We continue now with our discussion on fishing with Captain Barb Carey and Teresa Stabo, and we want to hear your fishing secrets and stories, too. You can email us at ideas at wpr.org or call 800-780-9742. I'm curious about fishing etiquette, especially for beginners. Like somebody like me, I wouldn't even know what to do. So what are some of the rules of the road, so to speak, that I would need to know before heading out, Teresa, let's start with you.
2: Fishing etiquette—that's really um, that's a good point. We don't want to crowd each other. You know, there's a lot of water out there, enough for everyone. So we want to give each other enough space. Um, be aware of where your line is is aiming. Um, make sure that when you're casting, that nobody's near you, and and just you know, be mindful of any items that you bring with. You know, use a pack out. Um, pack-out, pack pack-in mentality. And that that's true for bait, too. When we were talking about bait before, I was thinking about the invasive species issues that we have when people have released their bait into the water or even their worms into the woods we're worms, I mean, when I was growing up, I thought worms had always been here, but that's not so and when they're released into the woods, that can change the forest composition just because they munch down the leaf layer you know the leaf litter, and that will that will change the the composition of our forests so those are some things to think about, and you know as far as You know, etiquette, you know, like I was saying before, when I get excited about catching fish, I I try to keep it down so that I (laughs) I don't disturb other anglers, but um, it is exciting to fish and we want to share that excitement, but also be respectful that people often go out to fish for peace and quiet. Well, sure.
0: I'm curious too, Barb. How far should boaters stay away from people they see fishing on a lake? We 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 wonder this all the time. when we're, um, you know, out on a pontoon boat and and we're not fishing, and we see we see people fishing. How far away is is a is there a general rule?
1: Well, you know that's a good point. Oftentimes, it depends on the water. If you're fishing on a lake and there's a specific piece of structure on that lake that people are fishing, boats tend to get a little bit closer together. You know, obviously, you know, you try to stay as far away as possible, you know, and if, if somebody's in a spot that I want to fish, I'll just choose a different spot and not go fish right next to them. I've been in a boat before and the other boat came up so close, I just asked the guy, hey, do you want some of my peanuts? Because I could have handed them over to him. Mm-hmm. And that's obviously way too close, you know. Um, it's a little bit variable. You know, if there's one common piece of structure, boats tend to crowd a little bit more. The other thing that I often see boats doing, which I find disrespectful, is, is fishing in the area where the shore anglers are fishing. You know, their shore angler spots are very limited. So if you're in a boat, don't crowd in on those same areas that the shore anglers are trying to fish Um you know, choose a different spot. You, you know, they're limited, and you with a boat can go anywhere. That's one of my pet mm-hmm. peeves that I see happen. Good advice. Good
0: advice. Teresa, do some sections of water have different rules about, say, catch and release or limits on live bait, or is it the same everywhere?
2: There are differences, and it depends on the season. For, for trout fishing, there will be some periods where it's artificial baits only, Mm-hmm. And no, you know, no live bait at all, and so, so there's a, a difference there. And I'm sorry, what was the rest of that question? Where oh, was I going with
0: that? I was just wondering, uh, you know, where, if there are release or limits, uh, limits on live bait,
2: or um, yeah, can, yeah, and where would we, yeah. where would we find um, that? Again, that would be in the regulations. Okay. So, in the regs, all it's arranged by county. So. There's something a little bit different about every county. So, for example, in Green Lake, Green Lake County, this used to be true. I'm not seeing it now anymore, but there was something about um, the bait. Okay. That you couldn't use live. So maybe I won't talk about that one. Okay, that sounds Before,
0: I But basically no do, do a little research before you go so right. you know. Okay, right. so there are right. differences. Yes, well,
2: particularly with trout fishing. That's where a big difference is in terms of whether you can use live bait or artificial only and whether it's a catch and release season only as well.
0: Barb, what's the best way to find unknown or secret fishing spots? It feels like the anglers I know sure don't want to tell when they found one.
1: Well, one thing I like to do is have a like a Wisconsin gazetteer. You know, that way shows all the waterways. It shows where the little rivers cross the roads. It shows all the boat landings. And oftentimes, if I keep that in the car, even if I'm going for a drive, and I cross a stream or I cross a small body of water, I can take that out and look and see if it's public property or private property and just go exploring with one of those in the car. I've come across lots of really cool fishing areas that I found that I didn't even know were there just because I have this specific map in the car and I can stop and take a look. Mm -hmm. Um, is there, some, is there
0: some unwritten code that anglers live by when they've been gifted information about a secret spot? Are you not supposed to tell? Are you not supposed to share it?
1: Well, absolutely. You know, especially if someone gives you um, that information in confidence. For example, if someone takes you out in their boat and takes you to this spot, you catch a whole bunch of fish... Well, you don't want to go blab that to everybody. I mean, that was almost like a gift that that person gave you Mm -hmm. and you don't want to give it away. So, um, you, you know, and you don't want that person to go back the next, go to your spot the next day and that person sitting in it with a bunch of their friends. Sure. I mean, that's just common, common
2: courtesy.
0: Teresa, what tips do you have for hiring a fishing guide? What should we look for if that's the way we want to go?
2: Well, I really can't speak to hiring a fishing guide. That would be more Barb's area. All right. But well, I, I do want to follow up on what Barb was saying about where to find a spot. You know, great. We, we do have places online where you can look for these public access sites, these little known public access sites, these, these little tucked in places. There are places here in Madison where I live where I really wasn't even aware of it. They're just these little teeny little little trails down to the water that's public that those are public easements so really be aware of the easements that we have around various lakes and those those are open to everybody so again the the gazetteer is a good good place to look but also just look at our um public access sites that we have that online too and i'll get to the exact website for that too
0: okay great well, well, Barb, let's return to that question about a fishing guide. What should we look for um, in
1: hiring a fishing guide? Well, I, I think that, you know, one goal you should be to when you hire a guide is to, you know, what do you want? Do you want to learn how to fish a specific species or a specific body of water? Um, some guides are, you know, just into letting you catch as many fish as you can to bring home. Others, you know, are more willing to teach you about the certain techniques, maybe educate you on your home lake. I think uh, one mistake people make is, like, if they're traveling or they're going on vacation, they're more apt to um, hire a fishing guide. But consider hiring one for your local body of water. It's going to cut years of um, time off of your, you know, Searching for the answers on your home lake if you can go out with a guide and but really communicate with them about what you want. If it's whether you want to learn how to find you know a specific species in this lake or fish it as the seasons change or whatever but knowing what you want and having a conversation with the guide ahead of time I think is really important.
0: Teresa how do you learn how to read the water? Is that hard? You know, knowing what to look for and and looking out and understanding for yourself what's what kind of spots are going to be best?
2: Yeah, I think that takes some experience, knowing that certain fish they're they're going to be hanging out around the along the rocks. They're going to be nestled in maybe underneath an overhanging branch. So just really, really understanding where a fish might be hanging out. And it it depends on the season, too, different times of the day. You know, at in the morning, the fish might be closer to the surface. At night, when the sun, or excuse me, you know, during the day, as the sun gets higher, the fish are going to go deeper. So that those are the kinds of things that you'll need to consider, too. But, you know, that, that that comes with experience, too, just learning from experience and seeing what others are doing. If somebody else is catching something in a certain type of area, then that would be a, a kind of spot to consider.
0: I'm interested in what you said about the time of day, and Barb, I want to get your take on this. Uh, do you feel like fishing is best in the early morning or at dusk? I I, I mean, is there, like your sweet spot of time that you want to go out there and, and fish
1: you know that tends to vary and you know people say well when's the best time to go and my advice is always go when you can go and go as often as you can you know if you can't go till evening don't think that you missed out on the morning bite you know even sometimes midday right now um you know it's it's we have the Wisconsin River that runs through, through through the state, and it is fabulous fishing. And, you know, some days when I fish there, it's an early morning. Sometimes it's midday. You never know. So, you know, you know I, I always like to get as early as I can just to be able to get a spot, you know, have the prime pick of the spots. But generally, it varies. And just go when you can go. And what about weather patterns, Barb?
0: D- does, does it matter? Uh, does it matter if it's cold or hot? Or, I mean, what, what makes the perfect atmosphere?
1: A lot of times, right before a storm, it kind of creates a feeding frenzy with these fish. Um, you know, high sun, no wind, really hot. I mean, everything gets kind of sluggish then are going deeper. They're not moving around or feeding very much. So, you know, oftentimes bad weather where it's really windy, you know, that creates a lot of stir up in the water with the waves pushing bait fish up against the shoreline. And they even call it a walleye chop. So, you know, sometimes not the best weather for being outside is actually some of the best weather for fishing.
0: That's interesting.
1: So, Teresa, what do you think are the best or
0: easiest I guess fish to land for a beginner what would be the easiest one to catch
2: I would say it's easy to pull in a bluegill or a perch just you know the panfish are are easy to catch they're usually eager they're hungry Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. you do a lot of uh, of, uh, educational programs Teresa what do you think the perfect age is for kids to start fishing and you know trying to get some of these easier to catch fish
2: well, I, I raised two children and we had them in life jackets in the boat or along shore when they were two and stuck a fishing pole in their hand right away. So, <laughs> but that, you know, for a you know, family, I you know, six, I, you know, I don't know that it's...
0: No magic age. I
2: don't think there's a magic age. If you're working with a group of kids, you you want to be able to manage them as a group, so... When we're doing, um, we have some fishing in the neighborhood programs and we're um, sending out our fishing in the neighborhood interns or our finterns, as we like to call them. Mm-hmm. We're sending them out with elementary school groups. And then we, we've done a lot of teacher training. That's, that's kind of where this program began was training school teachers. So fourth grade is kind of a nice age, um, a nice grade level too, if you were going to incorporate an Angler Ed program as part of your classroom curricula, mm-hmm. so, which I think Barb did. I mean, I, I have photographs of Barb in one of the early <laughs> uh, Angler Red instructor training workshops that we did long ago. So, um, yeah, you two go way back. It's that's great. Yeah. So, so it you know it's been um, fun just to see this program evolve over the years. You know, I, I often say that the Android program it grew up with my family. It it really did. Um, when you know my first child was born in 88 and I started the job in 87 so it it really did and now my grandchildren are here visiting and they're going to go out fishing they're they're just little kids but um, we it just it's a family it's a family operation it's just a family pastime that we've we've always done and it's really nice to see school teachers are still engaging their students in fishing. Mm-hmm. You know, with hunting, you know, um, a lot of times for hunting you need to come from a hunting family to learn how to hunt. But with fishing, these fishing programs, it really is a big tent program. You know, when when a school teacher introduces fishing into her science class or biology class or fourth grade class. Everybody's kid is there whether they come from a fishing family or not. So they're all getting this exposure, which is something that we're really happy to continue to see. And now we have adult adult ed programs, you know, and, and Barb has, you know, for many years, she many years ago, she launched this amazing women's fishing club, which is just, I think, just the coolest thing. It's just really neat that we're getting everybody out there Um and from my perspective, too, we really want to make sure that everybody feels welcome at the water's edge. I, I feel very passionately about this, that all of the water belongs to all of us. And just making sure that everybody feels welcome, no matter what neighborhood you grew up in or what town you grew up in, you, you have the right to be there. And we want you to really feel comfortable and really ha- have confidence in your skills too—that you know how to bait a hook, you know how to reel it in, and what to do with the fish once you catch something.
0: You are listening to Captain Bob uh, Barb Carey and Teresa Stabo, our guests today on Route Fifty One—a discussion on fishing, sharing some great advice to get out on the water. Ahead, how to know what to keep and what to throw back and how to cook the catch you bring home. Join in with your stories and your personal fishing advice, too. Call us at 800-780-9742. You can also send an email to ideas at wpr.org. I'm Shireen Seward. This is Route 51 on Wisconsin Public Radio.
2: morning, want to cry. Then I remembered, yes, I knew why. He's a real good one for having his cake. I'm gonna go fishing or jump in the lake. Yes, I'm gonna go fishing. That's what I'll do. Think about nothing, not even you. Catch real big
0: Listener support makes everything you enjoy on WPR possible. We know you value Route 51 and all WPR programs. So make your contribution right now at WPR.org or 888-202-2552. Your gift is so important. Thank you. You're listening to Route 51. I'm Shereen Seward with our guests, Teresa Stabo and Captain Barb Carey. What would you like to know about fishing? Do you have questions about technique? Email us at ideas at wpr.org or join us by phone at 800-780-9742. A lot of people just catch and release as a rule, but if we're fishing for food, Teresa, what's your advice on what to keep and what to return to the water?
2: Typically we eat panfish and perch, but it is um really fun to get into a nice chunky bass and and kill that. I like to dispatch my catch swiftly. I don't like like the fish to suffer any longer than it has to. I think back in the day when I was growing up, we didn't really think too much about fish having feelings, you know, physical feelings. Um So they just kind of sat in the bucket and slowly suffocated. And so what I like to do is just really whack it on the head just really fast. It sounds brutal, but, you know, it just ends its suffering more quickly. Mm -hmm. Or you can take something like a a screwdriver and jab it in its head to pith it. Yikes. (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's it's scary. Yes. uh, All right. But, but I that's, mean, that's what it is. Done. I yeah. mean, then, then it's dead, and you're going to eat it. Mm-hmm. So, And it, it'll taste better, too. You I mean, the, quick, the quicker you, you kill your catch and you put it on ice, the better it's going to taste. So you really want to honor that fish that you just took from the water and really make sure that it's going to be absolutely delicious when it lands on your dining table.
0: Barb, is there, is there kind of a size rule that you go by? Like, what, what is too small to keep?
1: Well, with panfish, you know, people, we always look at sustainability for the fish. So these really big mature ones that are the top breeders, the females and the males, because the females will lay their eggs and then the males protect the nest from predators. So it's not just the females that are helpful in the process. So the ones that are, you know, big enough to clean, but not the biggest ones that are the breeders, kind of middle of the road, like eight, eight and, eight and a half inch bluegills, those are the ones that you want to be eating. Mm-hmm. You know, as far as game fish, like walleye, generally speaking, they have to be at least 15 inches to keep. And um, so, you know, eating the ones that are between 15 and 19 or 20 are the ones that I like to harvest to eat. When you start getting into the bigger ones, like twenty five inches or twenty eight inches, those again are the top breeders, and they're also older fish, so they don't taste as good. there's more of a risk for contaminants in the meat, so the the medium size or younger fish are the ones that are um, I think better tasting and better to harvest. Now, one thing I'll add about what Teresa said about dispatching the fish. One thing to do um, when you catch a fish, you you know, put it on a stringer, keep it in the water, and if you take a pair of scissors and just snip one side of the gills, that fish will um, bleed, bleed out, we call them, and then when you go to clean the fish, there's hardly any blood in the fillets, and they're bright white fillets, much easier to clean and tastier. You don't have to keep rinsing all that blood out, and it dispatches the Fish in a very uh, minimally invasive way. You know, Th- Teresa,
0: I want to ask you about something that Barb just said. We've been seeing a lot more of these consumption advisories, either related to fish diseases or or chemicals in the water. How do we know that the fish that we're eating is safe, or how much of it is safe to eat?
2: Yeah, that that is a really good point. You know, PFAS is the the latest um, forever chemical to for us to become more aware of and it it is a a sad fact that our our waters aren't what we'd like them to be or what they ought to be so we have um, we do have fish consumption advisories they're based on some epidemiological research on populations of people that eat a lot of fish and just to see what the correlation is between a diet that's rich in fish and how much of these chemicals start to build up in our own bodies, and it, it, it's true it, it, they do. So we have um, um, we have the fish consumption advisories online, and we also have some paper copies where um, typically we'll', we'll suggest to that women and children and women of childbearing age and children should really limit their consumption of large game fish. Uh, just for that reason, for the PCBs and the mercury. And now for with the PFAS, unfortunately, that extends to panfish, too, which was kind of opposite of what we were, were hearing before with mercury and, and PCBs. But PFAS are also prevalent in, in some panfish. So we want to really um, be aware of of our levels of consumption. And there are, you know, the health advisories that are online you can access that and you can um look by by um body of water and we, of course we have over 15,000 lakes in this in the state we're not going to be able to sample every water body but it, we can give general general guidelines and we we know you know we have some hot spot hot spots identified that we ask people to you know be mindful of their consumption
0: sure sure Uh, Donna from northern Wisconsin called. She couldn't stay with us, but she wants to draw attention to some concerns about loon preservation. Barb, she she wants to talk about how they're attracted to baits, get entangled in line that's left behind, and the dangers of lead sinkers. What do you say about those concerns?
1: Well, that's a very valid concern. I think lead is a huge issue. Um, You know, previously there was never really a lot of alternatives Uh, But now there's uh, alternatives to lead. One of them is tungsten. It's actually heavier and not toxic like lead is. Um, So there are choices, and it's about educating people of what the choices are. Um, You know, one of the things that I, you know, that we do as anglers is whenever we're fishing anywhere, you know, we always bring some empty bags and pick up all that you know any litter any fishing line any stuff that sometimes you'll pull in a tree branch will be all wrapped up with fishing line or something you know just you know doing some extra effort to clean up the area you know know what's in the baits that you're using there's one particular stretch of the Wisconsin River they actually called Lead Alley because there's so much snags there and people lose so many jigs that area is just peppered with lead Mm. so um You know, being mindful of that, knowing what alternatives are out there, like I say, tungsten is a good alternative to that and um it is it is a concern, and it 's one that people you know don 't really realize
2: Teresa yeah i'd like to follow up on that too please We do the yeah. loaner site we have nearly sixty spots around Wisconsin, about half of them are in our state parks and for about the last 25 years, that's what we've been doing. We've been, we switched out our lead 25 years ago at our tackle owner spots with tungsten and bismuth. And they are a little bit more expensive. There's no shying away from that. But for a little bit more money, and sometimes it's a lot more money, it's it's significantly more money than lead. So, I think we need to be honest about that. It's not just for a couple of pennies more it's It's quite a bit more for tungsten, but I think it's really worth it because we do we we do want to be mindful of the impact that we're having when we're out there fishing and Last month or a couple of months ago, I discovered another type of lure or sinker that's made of glass there's these lead free i think they're beautiful, and I'm going to have to order a whole bunch of them because they're they just look really cool but they're um there's some kind of a Hard glass, and I'll have to experiment with them. But it just hmm. looks like it's worth looking
0: at. Okay. Well, thanks for that. I, I, mm-hmm. I guess I wonder too about professional fishing tournaments. They've been gaining popularity throughout the state. Um, fishermen and the and the public. Are tournaments like this harmful to the general fish population? What are your thoughts, Teresa?
2: Well, there are some perceptions about tournaments that they. Could be crowding out local anglers, so I think they they need to you know we need to continue to monitor them just to see what kind of impact they're having on on the local fishing population. Barb, um, Barb, maybe you know maybe you can speak to tournaments.
0: Yeah, Barb, what are your thoughts on tournaments?
2: Well, you know the whole culture is changing
1: rapidly. And before all the tournaments, they would put all the fish in the live wells, bring them all in you know, go through this big weigh-in process and then release them. And many of the times there would be just a ton of floating dead fish around, which really angered a lot of the local people and I can't blame them. But the trend is to go to an online catch, record and release tournament system. There's an app called Fish Donkey that's made specifically for that. So anglers can record their fish in their boat when they catch it, log it into this app It's time stamped, there's photos, there's different, you know, regulations that they have to follow. And that is a qualified tournament catch. And then they um, take photos at the end for the weigh-in, you know, they just show photos of all these fish. It's much easier on the fishing population. It's easier for the anglers, you know, they don't have to worry about keeping these fish alive And the mortality rate is pretty non-existent because all the fish are immediately released. And that's really kind of the wave of the future. Okay. I'm curious
0: how state officials know how many fish are actually in a lake and and when stocking might have to come into play. Teresa?
2: Yeah. um, Our fisheries biologists and researchers do surveys. And, again, they can't survey every lake, but they go through a rotation on certain lakes that are popular with anglers and they will they will just net some fish i catch you know catch and mark and then release and then do recaptures see how many of those fish are still there have come back since the last time that lake was was surveyed and we also have creel clerks um, these are this is a summer job it's a great summer job by the way if anybody's still looking for a summer job they are looking um they'll be a creel clerk at the boat landing And they will ask, so what did you catch today? How long have you been fishing today? What else did you catch? You know, what was so that kind of gives us some idea of the fishing pressure on a given lake, and some lakes have more fishing pressure. So that helps us to determine regulations too. What's the fishing pressure? What is what are angler expectations, and where can we meet those expectations with some sensible regulations that aren't going to overtax the fish population,
0: I do want to touch on uh fishing licenses. Is there a minimum age and uh, and are there opportunities to fish without a license throughout
2: the year? Teresa yes, uh the minimum age is sixteen and uh, but so fifteen and under, you can just go fishing okay, or you can take your your family fishing. But adults will have to have a license and it is still the cheapest deal ever. Um, we have not increased the uh, the license the cost of the license for 18 years we know that the cost of everything else has gone up in the last 18 years so it is getting more expensive we'll ha- we have fewer resources to do the same amount of work but that means that we'll be able to do less work with um, less money. So um what was, oh, yes, but when can you fish without a license? Twice mm-hmm. a year. We have two opportunities, once um, in June, the first full weekend in June, and then the third full weekend in January. So if you've never tried ice fishing or you want to take a friend ice fishing who's never done it, there's an opportunity to, to take your friends out on those free fishing weekends. Okay. Uh, fishing is such a wonderful
0: Solo endeavor. I mean, you talk about the peace that you feel out there, but it, it's also something that connects people who share the same passion for it. Uh, I guess Barb, to you, to you personally, how important are those connections with friends or
1: even between generations? Oh, I think it's uh, I think it's very important. And one one difference, like you know, with fishing, you can do it your whole life kids oftentimes in school you know if they're not athletic and they're not you know able to be on the football team or this you know these high school fishing programs that are are starting out now the fish the kids can compete and not have to be physically superior so and then they continue to do that their entire life now as far as fishing buddies i just did a post on our Wisconsin women fish page yesterday I was fishing on the Wisconsin River and I saw these two older gentlemen walking away from where they were fishing and they had a stringer full of fish and they just looked like a couple happy buddies. And then there was another pair of individuals that was there um, that were fishing together. And I was fishing with my fishing buddies. I think that if somebody can get uh, some friends, a peer group of people that fish together, you learn so much because you can learn from each other you have somebody to go with you can go explore new places and it just really enriches your fishing experience and and that's what as a club you know women like women in the workplace or in school they have less of a peer group to pick from to find people to go fishing with so through this club, they're able to find other people, and oftentimes they come in and say, "Oh, I found my people," you know. Sure. And you can develop sure. These buddies to go on these different adventures with. And Wisconsin is. Full of opportunities.
0: This is Route between. 51. I'm Shereen Seward extending a sincere thanks to our guests, Captain Barb Carey and Teresa Stabo. It's been a wonderful conversation. Our producers are Joy Ratch-Kramer and Kate Spranger. Our executive producer is Rick Ryer. Joy is our on-air producer today. Thanks to John Altenberg for the Route 51 theme. We have special music today from Doc and Merle Watson, Trace Atkins, Peggy, Peggy Lee, and Luke Bryan. Listener support is the largest source of funding for the WPR program's You rely on give at wpr.org or 888-202-2552 thank you so much and have a great week
2: saved all my birthday money up put it down on a rotten reel i got my green and tan plane oh, loaded up permission to fish behind that old sawmill. I said watch your snakes, daddy said shut the gate Brother said, to biting on a zoom black and red flake Laying in the bed that night I swear I could barely sleep Cause all I ever wanted to be Was be a dance Fishing
1: for a living Saturday morning on television A Georgia boy.